Welcome to episode 141 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, if you're too darned hot, today's episode will give you some ideas for cooling down. And we'll keep the heat coming with a review on a fire starter that's non-toxic, long-burning, and waterproof. Then, the backpack hack of the week, you'll learn how to create your own ultralight, human-powered air conditioning unit. Is that overselling it a bit? A bit. All this, and that's about it today on the first 40 miles. Well, so many of our trips that we take are cold, wet. Trips where we're doing everything we can to stay warm. Right. And so one of our listeners actually contacted us and said, hey, do you think you could do an episode about staying cool? And honestly, the thought had not crossed my mind. (laughs) And we took a trip this summer to New Mexico. So That was a good reminder that um, there are actually places in this world where you're too hot and you're trying to stay cool, not the other way around. Right. And if you live in one of those locations that's really hot, there are some great ways, little tricks to avoiding the heat. There are actually places that you can go, probably not too far from your home, that are cooler than maybe what you're experiencing in the city. You mean like high elevation places? High elevation, yes. I was talking with a friend of ours who uh, did a trip this summer in the Wallawas in Northeast Oregon. And, you know, hot summertime temperatures? Nope, not up there. He said the forecast was for highs around 70, maybe the low 70s, uh, freezing at night. That's in the middle of summer. But they're way up there at uh, 8,000 feet of elevation. Yeah, and of course that comes with its own risks. You know, high elevation has, we'll give it its own episode. But um, I mean, even though it might be cooler, you're, um, I don't want to say you're closer to the sun, but you have less stuff in the air that's protecting. Less atmosphere between you and the sun. That's That's, the big difference. That's it. Another way to avoid the heat on a backpacking trip is to get yourself near water. Water has this lovely cooling effect. So if you can get yourself near water, near a lake, uh, or a little stream, a shaded brook, you're going to have just a blissful retreat from the heat. The extreme example of that is when we head out to the Oregon coast in the middle of summer, when it's 90 degrees here at home, but just 50 or 60 miles away on the coast, it's 70 Or another extreme example is when we lived in New York and we had the lake effect where the cold air would hit the cold lake and just freeze everyone to their core, that lake effect snow and the lake effect coldness. So you can take advantage of that uh, on a micro level on a backpacking trip. In the middle of the day when you're hiking down the trail, if you stop where there's a little stream crossing the trail, that's going to be a cooler spot than just stopping somewhere where it's dry, or if you're able to stop on the edge of a lake. Those are all better places where you can cool off a little. There are two different things that you need to be aware of when you're hiking in the heat, and that's heat exhaustion and heat stroke. 
having a red face with sweat dripping down it is not a badge of honor on the trail like it is in the gym. When you have those signs on the trail, that should be cause to worry, or at least slow down and get cool and spend some time doing some uh, just minor first aid. So some of the signs of heat exhaustion would be that classic red face with sweat, nausea, a headache, dizziness, vertigo, fatigue. So if you're experiencing anything like that, then that's a good time to slow down, get yourself into the shade, drink some water, just spend a little time cooling down before you head on. And then if heat exhaustion isn't taken care of and you continue to push through, then you may be dealing with the next stage, which is heat stroke. And that doesn't sound like any fun either. That can be um, confusion, anxiety, loss of consciousness. You could have a rapid rise in your body temperature. You may also have a marked decrease in sweating. And there's a really simple fix, and that is to get yourself into a shady area and start drinking fluids and salts. And since these are medical conditions, I think we have to throw in our caveat here. We have no medical training. Everything I know about medicine, I learned from Google. So staying cool on the trail isn't just a matter of comfort, right? I mean, it, we might think, oh, it's just, it's uncomfortable out there when it's hot and I'm kind of sweaty and sticky and, and it would be nice to be more comfortable and that's all there is to it. But it's not. It's a medical risk. If you get too hot on the trail, especially when you're exerting yourself on a backpacking trip, then you're leading yourself right into heat exhaustion. And if you keep on pushing through that, then heat stroke is next and your body starts shutting down. It says, I've tried to keep cool. All this sweating and everything else is not working. I give up. <laughs> and that's a real risk. So staying cool on the trail, it's not just about comfort. It really is a safety issue. And because we love our first 40 milers, we are going to save your life by sharing the top five ways to stay cool when it's hot outside. And the number one way to stay cool when it's hot on the trail is to carry a cotton bandana. Wait, what about that phrase, cotton is rotten or cotton kills? That's totally true for cotton clothing. You definitely want to stay away from cotton clothing, but I think the bandana is the one exception. Because cotton holds like 27 times its weight in water, a cotton bandana can be really great for cooling yourself down. And it should be the only item of clothing that you have that's cotton. If you do wear cotton clothing while you're hiking and backpacking, the cotton will absorb sweat. But because the sweat is trapped in the clothes, it's not going to be drawn away to create that cooling effect like it would be in synthetic or wool clothing. So bring a cotton bandana, and because it's thin, it's actually going to dry out faster and create that evaporative cooling feeling against your skin. And we talked about all the uses of cotton bandanas uh, way back in episode 21. And this was the number one use, to be able to cool yourself off on a hot, dry day. The number two way to stay cool when it's hot outside is with water. But we found some really fun myths that we wanted to dispel. Maybe some of our listeners who are runners have heard of this, but the myth of prehydration. 
Prehydration is the idea that you can drink a whole bunch of water before race day, and then on the day of your marathon, you don't have to drink as much because your body has already super hydrated all of its cells, and then you can run further, faster. And part of this comes from the idea that if you're dehydrated, you actually lose performance, like you have a 2% performance decrease, something like that. But the problem with this idea of prehydration is that humans are not camels. Our bodies don't have the built-in hardware to store that extra fluid. So if you drink more than your body needs, it's going to go straight to this little dump tank that we call the bladder, where it's not going to be used for rehydration. Plus, if you try to overload your body with water, you'll experience a couple things. First of all, is that kind of weird feeling of having a little ocean in your stomach, which could lead to cramping or discomfort while you're hiking. The second thing you'll experience is increased urination, which... It's just a big waste of time. <laughs> I think you have better things to do. So just drink what your body needs and um, don't buy into this myth of prehydration. The second myth is to make sure that your urine is completely clear. That's one of the gauges that people, I don't know who these people are, but kind of a perpetuated myth that that's how you can tell if you're properly hydrated and maybe this is partially true, because if your urine is too dark, then it means that you are dehydrated. So taking it to the other extreme, it doesn't have to be completely clear. Somewhere in the middle is fine. If you're wondering if you're dehydrated or if you're fully hydrated, the best thing you can do is to obey your thirst. So it sounds to me like the message here is that you need to drink water when you need the water. So when you're hiking on a backpacking trip, you don't just fill up in the morning and say, okay, good to go. You've got to drink the water throughout the day, and you need to drink more water when you're losing more water, either by exertion or by sweating. That's when you need to be drinking the water. You can't just save it up like a camel and be good for the rest of the day. Exactly. Another way to make use of water on the trail is to cool down in the water. Even just taking off your shoes and dipping your toes into some glacial runoff or a cute little stream, that can go a long way toward cooling you down. Ah, oh, that feels great. It does. The number three way to stay cool when it's hot is ventilation. So the back panel of your backpack should provide some ventilation. Most modern packs have kind of a channel or sometimes they have a mesh back so that you'll never get that sweaty back by having something directly against your back. Another way to make use of ventilation is to have zip-off or convertible pants. And some people have even discovered the joy of hiking in a hiking skirt. It's a great way to get ventilation. And minimalist shoes too, or sandals really. I'm sure I'm not the only one. The The amount of insulation that I have on my feet makes a huge difference in whether I feel too hot or too cold. And in the wintertime, it's amazing that extra layer of socks can just make me feel warm. Well, then in the summertime, that extra layer of socks can just make me feel awful. I mean, it just hot and languid. And I don't feel like doing anything. And then I switch into my zero shoes, just sandals, and it's like I come alive again. 
And all that changed was what was on my feet. It's such a small part of my body, but it has such a huge impact. The number four way to stay cool when it's hot is to make use of layers. Layers are always a good idea, whether the temps are hot or cold. Always dress in layers. You know, this is like a typical backpacking trip scenario. The morning starts off cool, and so maybe you have a, a second layer on, like a light jacket or a fleece, or even just another shirt. Then, as the day heats up, it's great to be able to remove that layer and just feel so nice and cool. But then maybe as you come into camp at night, you'll be kind of sweaty, and the temps will drop again, which will have you reaching for your fleece again. So even if the temps are going to be really hot, remember layers always a good idea. And the number five way to stay cool when it's hot is shade. You might be able to find some shade, like a thicket of trees, but you can also make your own shade. In episode seven of the first forty miles, yeah,、seven. we're talking December twenty fourteen. Wow. We talked about the top five uses of an umbrella for backpacking. And、uh, you know, funny thing, we we got a negative iTunes review a couple months ago, and the person said they started on episode one, and when they got to episode seven and they heard about using umbrellas when you're backpacking, they said, "That's it, I'm done. I'm not <laughs> listening to this podcast anymore." That's fine. They can hike their own hike, and they can burn in <laughs> some place where they didn't take their umbrella with them. You can't say that on a podcast. Hiking umbrellas are a real thing, and they're a great way to shade yourself from the sun in a really hot environment. And of course, they also work in Oregon when it's raining, <laughs> so it's great. They're good for both the hot and the cold. So don't discount umbrellas. It's it's a thing. It really is. Yeah, and maybe not on every trip. Not everything that we talk about do we do or do we bring. Right. We just share it because maybe it'll be. Valuable be for someone. To someone. Yeah, you can also use your cotton bandana. Put that over your neck. That's giving the evaporative cooling plus the shade. And a good breathable hat will give you shade as well, while still keeping the air movement going. We reviewed the Tilly Airflow hat on episode ninety-three. And we have a sixth way today that's a little bit unconventional, but the last few weeks I've had this cough. So I've been eating a ton of cough drops, which have a lot of menthol in them. And what menthol does is it triggers this cold-sensitive part of your skin that makes you think that you're cold. And it works if you breathe it in. It works if you eat it. It works if you put it on your skin. Menthol is that cooling feeling. So even though it may not actually make your skin cool to the touch. It'll feel like it, so you can try this out on a hot trip. Bring along some cough drops.、Um, you could just try mint chewing gum, which has menthol in it. You could try something like the Burt's Bees lip balm, the peppermint, the classic yellow tube, or you could even use straight up peppermint essential oil. All of those things are going to give you that cooling feeling on your skin and provide a little bit of relief from the heat. So you don't have to try all five of these things on your next backpacking trip, but maybe one of them's going to stand out to you, and maybe you can try it on your next outdoor adventure. For today's summit gear review, we're going to keep things hot by reviewing the Quickfire All-Purpose Fire Starter. 
Quickfire is a little fire starter tablet thing, I guess you could say, uh, wrapped in a plastic wrapper. Like those um, those little yeah. starlight mints or whatever yeah. they're called. Yeah. So Quickfire is maybe about that size. It's not so neatly round and disky like that. It's a little bit wonky in its shape. Uh, the Quickfire starter itself is all natural paraffin wax. And here's the cool thing. The plastic wrapper is compressed vegetable oil, so it's 100% safe to burn. So that means you don't have to take the Quickfire starter out of its wrapper. You just light the wrapper on fire. Quickfire is not combustible. It's not going to explode. If it gets really hot, like 150 degrees or above, well, because it's made of a paraffin wax kind of substance, it'll start melting, but it'll still work. And it produces little or no scent when it's burning and very little smoke when it's burning. Using these fire starters is really simple. You just need to light the edge of it. You don't need to unwrap it or anything. Just light the edge and it'll catch fire within one to two seconds. And in a really short time, it'll give you a strong flame. And you can light the quick fire with a match or a lighter. Or if you're going to go caveman style, you could even do just a magnesium striker that shoots off those sparks. If you're going to do that, then you just need to scrape a little bit of the magnesium on top of the quick fire and then strike the striker and the magnesium will catch fire and light the quick fire. Because these burn so long, the quick fire packets can be used to cook food, boil water, and even dry out wood. Quick fire also works in the wind, but as with any fire, lighting it is the hardest part. So just make sure that you get the quick fire lit and kind of shield it for about 20 seconds. And then once it's lit, it can withstand winds up to 30 miles an hour. Wow. I'm trying to imagine. I know. <laughs> I mean, getting the quick fire going is, is one thing. And then there it is burning in a 30 mile an hour wind. But mm. what am I going to do with it after that? <laughs> and then at what point do you call the trip off and say, whoa, this is more wind than we can handle? Yeah. Probably when it starts raining. Ah, uh, yeah. These fire starters burn at about 750 to 1,000 degrees, which means, yes, technically it could dry out damp wood, but as Josh and I have experienced, some wood ain't never going to dry out no matter how long you heat it or how many fire starters you put under it. Like the wood on our Tillamook head hike during spring break this year, there was nothing, okay, maybe a can of gasoline would have dried out that wood. But it's just been sitting all winter, so soaked with water. And so we tried the quick fire. I guess I'm getting into trial already. <laughs> we tried it and it burned for quite a while, but we just could never get the wood quite dry enough. So there are limits. Now, maybe those limits are our limits, our skill limits, because I don't know. It was wet wood, truly wet wood. And in that case, maybe it would have been good to do like two or three quick fires because they do burn for about eight to ten minutes. And I mean, really, with enough heat, any wood is going to dry out. For mass, a single quick fire package or tablet weighs 0.2 ounces or five grams. And it's about the size of a mini Milky Way. Not the fun size. The even smaller. The smaller size. ones. Okay. Yeah, the small size. After it's been stepped on. So it's not as tall as a Milky Way. You got to step on it. And then it's about that size. As far as maintenance goes, this is one piece of gear that you will be burning. So <laughs> not much maintenance. It's waterproof, which is awesome. And then just remember to always light your fires in a ventilated area away from tents, 
and in a designated fire ring. And the price works out to a little under a dollar per piece. And that's depending on what size package you get. You know, the larger the package, the cheaper the little quickfire tablets are. For trial, quickfire is a great replacement for your solid fuel tablets in your 10 essentials. I experimented with those little hexamine tablets for both cooking and for fire starting and always got kind of weak results. Plus, not only are the hex tablets toxic, um, but the quick fire is completely non-toxic. It's even non-toxic in the state of California. I know. That's really non-toxic. Really super non-toxic. <laughs> like this is an alternate form of food. Um, these have a burn time of about eight minutes. That was based on our test. And another benefit to quick fire is it's non-explosive. So... It's something that you can keep in your 10 essentials. It's going to be an emergency backup item, and there's no risk to it. And you can keep these things in your 10 essentials for a really long time. The shelf life is like 30 years. Yeah, and I have no idea what would, you know, at the end of the 30 years, what would make these unusable. I assume it's the vegetable oil-based wrapper that would be maybe brittle or yellowed. That's That would be my guess. Yeah. But I'm sure it's still burnable and yeah. be completely safe to use. Well, except for those cases where we've been out on a trip where everything is completely waterlogged and soaked, uh, the quick fire tablets do a great job starting fires for us. I like that they last long enough that you can light it, get the wood around it, you know, that, that tinder, you can start building up the kindling, and, and all that time, the quick fire tablet is still burning. It gives you the time to really get that fire built up. And certainly homemade versions of fire starters are completely fine on the trail. They just don't burn as long. So the thing that I really liked about the quick fire is that it was really long burning and it gives you a great chance to actually get the, the framework built around your fire. For today's backpack hack of the week, DIY air conditioning. When we lived in Salt Lake City, we had an evaporative cooler or a swamp cooler, as the locals called it. Um, the technology is pretty old school, but it worked. And here's how it worked. There was an evaporative cooling unit on top of the house, and inside of that unit is a water-soaked pad. And as air was forced through that pad, it would send cooling air throughout the home. Pretty simple concept. And it all works through that evaporative concept. As a substance moves from solid to liquid to gas, it's moving to uh, what's called a higher energy state. So as water goes from liquid to gas, it's capable of absorbing much more heat. Well, the evaporative effect then takes place as the air is coming through and the water is evaporating into the air. That evaporated water is soaking up all of that heat energy. And the net result is that the, the actual temperature on the thermometer goes down. So you have wetter air, but it's cooler air because the water is able to soak up so much of that heat. I'm glad you said wetter air and not moist air because I've been trying to avoid that word today. Our kids have a thing about that word. Oh, everyone has a thing about that word. It's the grossest word on the planet. So wetter is better. Wetter is better, yeah. <laughs> Well, to make the evaporative cooling concept work for you on the trail, you'll need to get yourself wet. So your arms, your face, your legs, 
and then create a source of moving air. So you can use a map to fan yourself, or you could even just grab the front of your shirt and create that little wind tunnel for your face by moving your shirt back and forth. Any of these methods will get you cooled down really quickly, and boom, you have a DIY evaporative cooler or swamp cooler on the trail. You know, I just thought there's another way to cool off. It's really inefficient, kind of wasteful. It's to turn on your backpacking stove, and as the fuel is、uh, drained out of the canister, the pressure inside the canister goes down. You're right. And with that, the temperature goes way down. You know, if it's a cold day, it actually gets iced up on the outside. Yeah. So you could you could turn on your stove for a while, and then you could like. Put that fuel canister against your skin somewhere, <laughs> and you'd be wasting all kinds of fuel just to cool yourself off a tiny bit. Ah,、oh, funny. So water is a better idea.、Eh, probably. <laughs> and we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Clayn Jensen, and this is from Outdoor Recreation in America. He said. Outdoor recreation experiences can help mold into people the wholeness concept and the balance that is essential to a satisfying life. The outdoors embodies something that cannot be found anywhere else. It is not merely the scenery, or the mountain breeze, or the open spaces that delight us. The outdoors embody history, primitive experiences, and elements. Capable of lifting the spirit. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com/story. We'll see you next time on the first forty miles. So I've been eating a ton of menthol lifted. Lif- <laughs> so you don't have to try all five of these things on your next hot backpacking trip, but maybe. And we'll leave you today with a little trip.